Actually, I forgot. Please stand one more time. I'm sorry. I've been told I'm trying to get into a new routine. We're going to read a scripture together each week. And this is the scripture that the Lord has shown me to, to read, for us to read together. It's out of Romans chapter 13, 11, and 12. So read, uh, read it out loud with me here. And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. You may be seated. <clears throat> I'll get this new routine down, <laughs> new thing down here, Lord willing. <laughs> if you're here for the very first time, we welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, and we're just blessed that you're here with us and online for those uh, that can be. And again, this is the final book of the 66 books of the Bible, and this book is all about Jesus Christ. It's always been about the Messiah from the beginning of time of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. It's one book, it's one story. But the, specifically, the book of Revelation is all about Jesus Christ's re revelation to mankind. We saw in the first three verses that verse 3 is the first of seven beatitudes of this book. Verse 3, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. This letter, this prophecy letter to us. And keeps those things which are written in it, for the time is near. What is the near part? The near of Jesus Christ coming back for you and I. As, as the bride of the church is the bride. And the groom is coming back for the bride. The question is, bride, are you ready? Now, I am going to continue to pour into you the word of God. Your part is to listen. To read and to listen as the verse 3. And if you will really listen, I'm blessed because I get to read it, but you get to be blessed because you're hearing it, and then you actually, both of us have to do it, and there's a blessing. Do you want to be blessed by God? You don't want to be blessed by God? You want, do you want to be blessed by God? Then why would you avoid the book of Revelation? Yeah. That's not wise. <laughs> we want the blessing of God, and we will be blessed as we go through this. He's going to reveal. Why? Because John the Apostle here who writes this, that, that word given to him by Jesus Christ, continues with this greeting, as we will see here in the next few verses, of four, verses 4 through 8 here today, was intended for his audience then and for us today. The Holy Spirit is speaking through to us. The set, we're going to be reading and studying about the seven churches that were applying at the time of that day, but also for us as a church body today, for you specifically and to me. And so keep that in perspective, because it's all about Jesus Christ in your life. And what are we as a church body, right? The church is you, not the building, not anything religious articles. 
it is you because Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, dwells within you as a believer. And you and I make up the church body. And he is the one coming back for you if you're a believer today. Perhaps today. Would that be not the most glorious thing if we were all raptured right out of here? For those who are believers, you're thinking joyful right now. You're like, yes. But if you're on the fence of, I don't know if I'm saved, you have a little bit of a fear, or a lot of fear, I hope, in the heart going, oh, would I be taken or will I be left behind? That is a question. You need to get settled in your heart. And how you get that settled is a relationship, a tight relationship with Jesus. Surrender it all. Brokenness. Righteousness that he feels. I mean, these things we were singing must come to your heart as an individual. But here we see, and let's just, matter of fact, let's just read starting verse 1. Let's get everyone caught up to speed if you're just getting started here. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And what do we say? Amen. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, and even they, will, they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so. And we all said, Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. These are the verses we're going to cover today, Lord willing. There's a lot in these verses. We see here in the beginning that John is writing this letter. Remember, this great, this, 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 this introduction, this greeting to the people were always in the beginning of the letter, so you knew when you got the letter and you were listening to the letter being read, you knew exactly right up front. Let's get it out, any distractions away. Who wrote the letter and who is it for? They got it out of the way, putting it right up. They didn't have to wait to the end of the letter to find out, now who wrote that? And what was that intent for? Was it really for me? or was it? No, he, all the letters were always up front. I think it's a great thing, right, to know who exactly is going to, because many times you get a letter, what do you do? You look at the bottom, who, who signed it? Not here. The beginning of the letter is in the very beginning. And John the Apostle is writing to who? The seven churches. 
Where are they located? In Asia. Asia Minor is that we know. What is what we know to as of today is the modern day of Turkey. The western side of modern day Turkey is where these churches, these seven churches, are located. What are those seven churches? Ephesus, Smyrna, uh, uh, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodiceans. The seven churches. They all sit in this triangle road system about 100 miles apart at different places, and they worked away. So all these, it appears seven of these letters were duplicated exactly the same, word for word, every detail, and they were sent out to the seven churches, it appears. Or how they used to do it, they had one letter, and they would pass it to church to church, and they would go around reading it and going around. Either way, it's okay. The bottom line is they got this letter in their churches. Are you with me? So as we were looking at this, we're seeing that John makes it clear that any believer may read and profit if they read this. So they said this to them when they got that letter in those churches. It's very good that you listen because the, the pastor is going to read it. He's going to be blessed by doing it. And I am blessed by teaching this. I am blessed. There's no question I'm blessed. I'm challenged, but I'm blessed. But also those who are listening and we all apply it to our lives, we're going to be blessed with this. And that right up front in the book, it says to each of these churches, this is it. Why seven churches? Why? Because seven is significant in the scriptures. Seven means fullness or completeness or perfection. So you're going to see a lot of sevens in the book of Revelation as we go through those. And we're going to talk about each one of those. Are you with me? Now, we see that the revelation God tells us how he is going to complete his great work and usher in his eternal kingdom. That's how important this, this Bible is, uh, this book for is for us, because he's actually going to reveal to you, you and I how things are going to play out in the future. Doesn't give us all the details. We're going to go through a lot of symbolisms that we talked about last week. But the bottom line is it's enough for what he knows we need to know for this time and period of what it's going to be like into the future. I always go to the end in mind. What is the end in mind? A new heaven and a new earth. Hello? You're going to have a new heaven and a new earth, and we're going to have new bodies and a new name. Oh, oh we're going to get into all this. This is going to be fun. After working out the last three days, I need a new body. There's no question. This old frame is wearing out quick. But we see here the revelation for you and I will find also in Revelation here seven seals, seven trumpets, seven vials, seven stars, seven lampstands. Oh, there's even more. Just keep that in the back of your mind. I really do hope you've been bringing a piece of paper and a pencil to keep notes on some of these key things for you to go back and continue to read and study on these things or go back and listen to the teaching again and again because we want you to really settle in on some of the things that are from this book. So John sent the book of prophecy to these assemblies in these cities to for what reason? To encourage them. Why? Because they were going through tremendous persecution in their lives. Situations in their lives were not good. Thing, people were coming against them for their faith. Going against them because of, of all kinds of reasons. And this letter was to encourage them. Remember, this is not the end of everything. This is not life the rest of you know it. 
understand after this life, if you this body wears out and God takes you home early as a believer, or he takes us all out at the same time, know that this is not the end of your story. Your story ends it never ends. It's eternal. You have eternal life. It will come from here, and absent from this body will be the presence of the Lord. You'll be in the arms of Jesus, worshiping with all your loved ones who went before you. Or we're all going together. That's why it's beautiful to sing a cappella now, because we're going to be doing a lot of singing with some harps and angels and all kinds of things up in heaven. Hello? It's much better than, <laughs> much better than we can ever do here. But he sent them out. The message was, would give them the encouragement, the hope, the faith, and the love that they need. This is what was given to them through this letter. That's what is for us. We need the encouragement in our lives. We need hope. We need faith. We need love to dominate our lives. And this book is to help transform your life to make that happen. We also see that the promise of Jesus Christ's coming should be to all Christians at all times what? A motivation for us to be obedient to the word of God. To be obedient and consecration in our lives. That's what this book will do for you and I. Because every time you're reading it and rereading it and studying it between weeks, you're going to remind, Lord, am I ready? Lord, I'm, I'm, is it today, Lord? Is it this going to be this coming week? Oh, I have just a, such an anticipation for you to come back. Why? Because we're cl much closer to his return. It's short. And I really hope you're all ready. Because I am. I, I think about it every single day. Why? Because I know if I'm tight with him and focus, Lord, are you coming back for me? I'm ready. It's like anyway, right? If I said I'm coming to your house, first of all, you'd go, what? The pastor coming to my house? No. Tell him I'm not here. Why is that? Why is it that you would say no? Do you have something to hide? Do you have something that you don't want me to see? Is your house not in order? But if you, some people play the game and go, oh, let's invite them at a very specific time, a civic place, civic day, and then we, that house is spit clean. The kids are in the best behavior. You got everything. You got the Christian music going. You got you everything. Everything's hidden. Put it, you know, get it under the bed. Put it. I know you don't do that, but others do. That's what the book of Revelation reminds us is he's coming back. You don't have to sit there because you won't have any time and any warning when he does come back. It's a twinkling of an eye. So you can't put things under the rug anymore. He knows what's under the rug. You can't put it under the bed and hide it from people who come and visit you. He knows it's under the rug. He knows what's in your closet. He knows what's in your basement. He knows deep within everything about you. My brothers and sisters, he paid it all. He paid it all. Just be broken. Just give it up. Let it go. Anything that doesn't please him. Be ready. Why? Because for him who is and who was and who is to come. This is not a maybe, a if possible. No, it's a guarantee. It's a guarantee. 
John brings a greeting from the God, the Father. The emphasis here is from the fathers. Through him, he's, he's telling the people who is describing this title of him as who him who is and who was and who is to come. Speaks of what? The eternal nature of God. It has the idea of a timeless being and is connected with the name Yahweh found in the Old Testament of Exodus chapter 2, verse 14. Yahweh is the name of the triune God that we worship. The God the Father, God the Son, and the God the Holy Spirit. We worship a triune God, one God, the Yahweh, revealed in three persons. And it's through this description that we, John puts right up in front of us here, applying to all three. That triune God is when we say Yahweh. Are you a follower of Yahweh? That's the question I have for you. Are you a follower of Yahweh? The one and true God. But he also, notice here, he, John seems to focus here in the first that verse here around the God the Father based on this title. But notice here that he also speaks of the Son and of the Holy Spirit where we see for the seven spirits who are before his throne, he, John brings out a greeting from the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, and describing that seven spirits who are before his throne. And that speaks of perfection. It speaks of completion of the Holy Spirit revealing of the, of the character of who God is. And John uses this Old Testament description here, and we'll see it, and many people will go around, ah, what does that seven spirits really, really, really mean? And you can go back and study it on your own. But let me just give you at least one food for thought, or at least from my perspective and, and for, from others. But the idea of seven spirit quotes is from the Old Testament of Isaiah 11, verse 2. And it describes the seven aspects of the Holy Spirit, the completeness, the fullness, the perfection of the Spirit of God. And it's the, it says, I'll read it for you. It says, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, and the, and, and the Spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Now, there's another perspective as well of the of the of, of that other people may have. But again, we won't get into all those details as we go through the scriptures. You're going to see this all tied tied together. We even see the spirit of prophecy that is as actually quoted in Revelation 19:10. But from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, not only have we seen the Father, not only have we see the Spirit, now we see also, he references the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, is speaking of, our, of, of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And John brings a greeting from the, the God the Son. So picture this letter going to you and me as the assembly, to those seven churches. And John's writing saying, this letter I'm about to tell you, this message I've been given uh, to give to you, is, is, is from the Father, is from the Son, and from the Holy Spirit. The three persons, one God, is communicating to you and I what we need to know because it's complete, it's, it's, it's wrapping everything up, and you need to understand what God has for you and me. That's what John is summarizing here. And so when you think about here, this last time, uh, is, oh, as a note, in the book of Revelation, right here where it says Jesus Christ, is the last time you will see that name, Jesus Christ, until we get to Revelation twenty two twenty one at the very end of the book. 
just as a, for those who are note takers. But he describes Jesus as a faithful witness. It speaks of Jesus' utter reliability and faithfulness to his Father and to God's people. How faithful? To his death. That's how faithful. And also, not only is he faithful, but he's a faithful witness. Why? Because it speaks of Jesus is of death, but it's the ancient Greek word that's translated here for witness, meaning what? Martyr. That's the Greek word there for witness is martyr. He's given his life up for you. He's given his life up for you so that you would have a way. We also see that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. And some people say, what does that really mean? It means that Jesus stands as a preeminent among all beings. He is the first in priority. He's also the, means that he's, he's the first person who was resurrected and have an everlasting body. He's the very first one raised from the dead and has an ever eternal body. That sets example of what we will be having when we die. Will have an everlasting body. Remember, Adam and Eve was designed to have an everlasting body. But what caused that everlasting body to start deteriorating? Sin. But when we're out of here and we're into perfection into heaven, there is no sin. That means you will be given that perfected everlasting body. That was part of the design from the beginning. Are you ready for that perfect body? <laughs> Some of you spend a lot of money to try to get that perfect body now. Why are you wasting your money when you're going to get it in due time? Probably should keep going. Just, just you know, exercise profits you little. You know, again, just a little few verses to think about. But the use of the firstborn does not mean that Jesus has a birthday. He was always in existence. He was he's not a created being. He is God. So don't let people twist this and use that one little scripture to come change everything. God is eternal. Always has been. And we will at the very end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. We also see that Jesus is the ruler over, the, over kings. So before the book of Revelation is over, we're going to see that very clear. That Jesus will have take dominion over every earthly king that will be in existence at that time. At the present time, Jesus rules a kingdom, but it is a kingdom that is not of this world yet. He's getting things prepared, getting things ready. And you and I are part of that plan. Don't forget, we're part of that plan. Now, verse five, rest of five here, to him who, was, who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and, and has made us kings and priests to his God and the Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we see here, to him who loved us. What a beautiful title for Jesus. Because when Loved, past tense, is used here. Now, in your version, you might have loves us, and that is still true. But in the New King James Version and the original Greek, it is loved, past tense. 
It's loved us. It should be pointing out the more the, the transition or the translation of understanding here is that it looks back to the cross. You were loved. When? When did he love you? Past tense. At the cross. Does he still love you? Yes, he loves you. But he loved you so much he went to the cross for you. And so I love that translation here because it talks about the, the security of God's love. Not based on the, your present circumstances. Not based on how good you were today. Because present circumstances can get very difficult for many of us. Very, very difficult. But it's based upon the ultimate demonstration of the love at the cross. This is why we praise the Lord. Because it's not because you, he, he loves you because somehow you were really almost right there, almost pretty good today. No, no. He loved us. He loved you. Before you were even born again. Think about this, my brothers. You have to get this settled in your mind. He went to the cross because he loved you while you were dirty. He didn't all of a sudden start loving you because you gave your life to Christ and you became clean and washed. Now he loves you. No, no, that's humans. That's you and me that sometimes put conditions. I'll love you if you do the following. No, no, he loved you before you're in the dirtiest of state. In your darkest of state, he loved you and went to the cross to make a way for you. And then after you gave your life to Christ, he continues, obviously, he loves you. Do you know that? You're loved. Have you ever heard that before? that you're loved because it's true he loves you you know it's interesting in Romans 8 37 yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us past tense we have victory as a child of God we have conquered our big giants in our lives because we have surrendered our life and we have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. We've been forgiven. We have all the, the chains, the giants, those sins that grip you and taking you down. It wasn't it great when you got saved and you had felt that 100-pound gorilla come off your back and you were set free. No wonder many believers are find themselves not secure in knowing the love of Jesus towards them. Why? Because they still think they need to earn their way to get his love. Oh man, I better go to church or Jesus is not going to love me today. Not true. They look to the present circumstances to measure his love. Based on your circumstances, based on how good you are, you're basing God's love for you. That is not accurate, my brothers and sisters. Instead, you must look back to the cross and settle the issue once and for all and give praise to Jesus, who to him, who 
who has loved you, has loved us. Why? Because when that transformation takes place, when you give your life to Christ, notice here in the scripture, and washed us, past tense, washed us from our sins in his own blood. This is what happened when Jesus loved us at the cross. He washed us. He cleansed us from the deep stain, stain of sin in our lives. So that we really are clean before Christ. We really are clean before the Heavenly Father. We have been cleansed by Jesus. That's why we praise Jesus. Because of his final, finished and final work on the cross. See, if we understand our deep sinfulness in our lives, and it seems almost too good to be true, we can stand clean before God, clean from the deepest of sayings, and in sins in our lives that no one even knew about except for you. But you forget, and I forget so many times, no one else may know that sin, but God knows that sin. And when he looks in your life, he sees his son who has washed that away for you. He took the penalty of that sin. It's no longer in your account. It's on Jesus' account. And you have to meditate on those things to get your mind settled so that you have a very sure Christian walk. If you don't have that sure Christian walk, you will be unstable. No wonder the Apostle John here wrote in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's cleansed you. If you're a believer. And it's by his own blood. If there was another way, Jesus would have done it. Why? We see in the scripture in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, Father, if there's any other what? Way. There was no other way. He had to go to the cross. He had to die for that sins of the world. And he was willing to do it. why he came. That's why God came and took on flesh like you and me. Now it's interesting if you look at the scripture and as you study the scripture, I know you know this. That it was his blood that was going to be the ultimate sacrifice and that was the sacrifice of God the Son. And it would not have done that. It would not have happened that way. If there was any other way, there was no other way. And so when you get that settled in your minds, when you start hearing the cults out there, and you hear these others who say they're Christians, and they start you know, saying, yes, yeah, 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 Jesus died on the cross, but, or plus, you know you're talking to a false teacher. Don't listen to him. Don't listen to her. Don't read the books. Don't listen to the little snippets. Because that's how the enemy gets into your mind is to twist the gospel. You have to discipline yourself not to listen to the junk. I can't stop you from doing it. I can only warn you as a pastor. I'm telling you, there is play all over the place with big names to their names to it. With huge congregations. I'm telling you, there is a wolf or wolves, bears are right on the edge of the pasture. Do not go near the edge. Because if you do, you're going to get snipped up. 
You're going to get gobbled up. Don't go searching. Stay in your Bible. You own one. You better, if you don't own one, I'll get you one. Stay in the scripture. Let the Holy Spirit, who will teach you all things in the scripture, come to the place. If this is your home church, I assure you, I'm going to teach you the word. I have many who watch and listen to every word I have from other pastors to keep me to make sure I never stray. And I have a leadership team that watches and makes sure I do not stray. I don't listen to any one other teachings. I only listen to what the Holy Spirit is showing me and teaching me from the Word of God to the best that the Holy Spirit does through me. I'm not going to go look for the latest fads and the latest little things to try to build a church up. We started with four people with nothing in our home to a hotel to build out of the place. And what God has done is all God. It's his church. I'm just like you. I'm not the one doing the father's bakers. One of these days I will bake something. I promised the ladies I would bake something. I would love to be teaching the children. I think it's a lot more fun. They have a lot more response. And they never fall asleep. I probably should get back on track here. Remember in the Old Testament? The priests could only cleanse with blood of bulls and goats. But he was washed he has washed us from our sins by his own blood. No more sacrifice of bulls and goats. It is the finished work of Jesus, and it was his blood that cleanses us. It's a sure thing, my brothers and sisters. It's not a question when you give your life to Christ and you've been cleansed and it's sealed for eternity. It's a done deal. You don't have to question your salvation. Because if you based it upon your efforts, you have a lot, all of us have a lot to worry about. And worry is even a sin. But when you base your eternal life on the work of Jesus, you and I have security in our salvation. And we can live a life for Christ. Even with all the darkness and all the craziness that goes on in this world, we know this is not our home. Our home will be with heaven, in heaven with Christ. Just keep your eyes on that. That needs to encourage you every day that Christ is coming for you. Notice. Notice the order of the words when you read them. First, loved. Then, washed. You are first loved. Then, washed. It wasn't God that washed us out of some sense of duty. Then loved us because we became clean, because we did some religious work. No, no, no. He loved us while we were dirty and then became and came in and washed us. So here's another main point I need you to get here. If you're not saved right now today and you're listening to these words or you're questioning your salvation in whatever state you may be, let me say it one more time for you. He loved you. He died for you. His blood was shed for you. 
The question is, as he offers this gift of grace to you, did you accept the grace of God? Did you accept him and recognize you're such a sinner and you know you need to be saved? Do you know? You knew that. You know that. And you want to be saved. You want to be cleansed, washed from all that sin. Anyone who puts their trust in Jesus, that, that work that he did in the cross. He loved you. He, he already died for you. And if you accept that gift and you let him in, he comes in and he washes over you and cleans you up. See, so many people will say, Pastor, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? Who said you need to do anything? I, I, didn't, I, don't, I don't ask you to do anything. The only question is, is, is Jesus asking you, will you accept him into your life? That's a decision. Not work. Decision. A commitment. I commit my life to you. Let, you'll be my master. You're my Lord. You're over my life. Whatever you want me to do, I, I, I surrender all. I'm broken. I'm, I, I want nothing of my old life. He comes in. And then he washes you, cleanses you like you've never sinned before. Past, present, and future. And then he blesses you and turns around and takes you and says, follow me. And he takes you through life in such a beautiful way that he will actually choose to use you for, your, for his glory. And you get, and I get rewarded when we get to heaven. We'll get to that part of the Bible, or the part of this book. The reward for just living your life for Christ. Now, the washing proves of his love. Knowing that you are washed proves that he loves you. The fact that you've been washed and you've been forgiven just proves that he already has loved you. And not only that, notice here what happens. And he's made us kings and priests to his, his God and Father. It means that Jesus gives to those who loved him or he loved at the cross and who was washed he, and by his blood. It literally then turns around. He, he then takes us beyond all of that and makes you and I kings and priests to his God and Father. This is absolutely another reason why we praise Jesus. Because we're not just saved and going to heaven, but when we see in the scripture in this book, we're going to come back with him to rule and reign on this earth. Yes, you. Yes, me. Yeah. We're going to rule and reign with Jesus. We're going to be part of the plan for him here on this earth. That's amazing to me. Why? Because we see right here, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. He has dominion forever and ever. It's not the fact that he should, he, he's given that. It's not that we're giving Jesus glory and dominion. No, no, no. It's we're recognizing he already has glory and dominion forever and ever. Another reason why we praise him. And that's why John says, Amen. In the Greek, it means, so be it. Or be, be it true. So when you say a prayer, God, I really love you, and I love the people, and I love here, and, I'm, and, and we go, Amen. It means so be it. It, it, it means it, it means it just to be true. Yes, yes. And that's what John is saying here. It's true. Verse seven. Behold. 
He is coming with clouds. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe Jesus is coming back? He is. Behold, he is coming back with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. What is behold, he is coming? It's a commandment. It means for you and I to look, to check it out. Set your minds on this fact. Jesus is coming back, period. Regardless of how you think and feel and all the other little talking heads you might be thinking, and they're trying to convince you that he's not coming back. And I, 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 I lovingly tell you, I know you may have come from a certain religions who do not teach that there is a second coming or a rapture, that the kingdom of God is already set. It's already here. We're to somehow make it better here. No, Jesus hasn't come back. Hasn't come back. And no, that you just you don't create your own kingdom here. Jesus is going to rule and reign and reset everything for us. Don't forget, there's a seven-year year period of tribulation that we're going to talk about. But what most some of the churches do not teach any longer is the word rapture, or what we in this in their, in their language is caught up or. Um, um, Caught up is the key word here in the language. We call it rapture, where he comes back for the, his bride before he destroys this earth. Did you get that? He talks about coming. We'll get into Thessalonians. We'll get into all that as we get going. But here he's talking about the fact that the second coming is when we come back with him in, in and with the clouds. We're the clouds. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. But we're going to come back, and he's going to reset his feet on the Mount of Olives just as he's ascended. That's why he's talking here. John moves from praising Jesus over all the reasons why we should be praising him, and now he's describing his return. Jesus is coming back. We have all these reasons to praise him. He has saved you. He's cleansed you. He's always loved you. This has got to be settled. The second thing he wants you to understand and make sure it's settled, he's coming back. He's going to come back and rule and reign on this earth. And when we take a look at this, he, John, he wants us to behold. Watch. Keep, keep your eye out. Check it out. Make sure you know this. Why? Because Jesus said that we should watch and wait for his coming. We see that in Matthew 24, 42. So Jesus said, said be watching, be awake, because I'm coming back. Now, John didn't have to have a vision to know this. Why? Because he understood the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament promise of the Messiah's return and Jesus' own words about his return. John knew that Jesus was coming because Jesus said to them, and he said he was coming. Jesus said, I will come again and receive you to myself, John 14, 3. He's in heaven. How is he going to receive us to him? Let me say it again. For John 14, 3. I will come again and receive you to myself. How is he going to receive you and me to himself? The rapture. 
the rapture is going to take place. Jesus has gone to heaven to prepare a place for us. He's not going up there for vacation because he's had enough of you and dealing with all of you craziness. He said, Corey, you've put me over the edge. I've got to go to heaven and have a vacation. That's not how God works. He's saying, I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you because that was his promise for you and I. In my house, there are many. Are they for the animals? No. They're for you. He's preparing a place for you. Because a father always prepared a place for his family. And it's going to be good. We're going to see that because we get in the scriptures. We talk about when, you have, when you're in heaven, you have roads paved with gold, asphalt. You know it's good. And what we have here is Christ went to heaven. He has gone for the church benefit, and for his church benefit, he will return again. He is not going to forget us. He is coming back for us. And the truth of Jesus' coming is like a magnet. It should draw us closer to him every time we ponder on the fact that Jesus is coming back. It should be a magnet. It should draw you. Oh, I want to spend more time with him. I want to talk to him more. I want to be in the word. What does the word say about this? You're going to make decisions differently when you think and you know that God can come back. It should draw you. It should lift your heart and my heart as a believer out of this world and even out of the low points of self that you're dealing with. Because many people deal with very depressed self. Very unhealthy view of self. Jesus said he can help you. Because he can lift you up out of those states. If you will believe what this word says about you. You are loved. See, working with men and women who are on the edge of committing suicide, if I can get into their brain and, and into their mind of this truth that you are loved, that you're loved, and there's a plan and a purpose for you, and there's a Savior that will come and will be taking you home eventually, and he can sustain you through this 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 dark time in your life if you will just set your mind upon him he'll lift you up at those low points in your life guaranteed it's a guarantee do you believe that whoever the spirit of God is speaking to right now do you believe that because God is speaking to someone here. If you're on the breach of suicide or a really low point, I can. I want to help you. I want you get. I want to. I come take a step of faith. Come see me. I want to help you with the Word of God and the Spirit of God to work in your life. He can lift you up and give you hope, the faith, the promise, and be filled with His love. That's, that's for all of us, is it not? 
Notice, behold, he's coming with clouds. What is this clouds? He will be surrounded by clouds. From a literal perspective, it's very true, right? He, he was taken up into the cloud. God said that he would return in the same manner, Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. But from a figuratively sense, we are, because there's a multitude of believers, you and I, in heaven, the multitude of believers, are referred to as clouds in the scripture. It refers to a figurative manner. We see that in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And clouds are also commonly associated with God's presence and glory. We saw that a lot when we studied the book of Exodus. Such as the Old Testament of the Shekinah glory and the presence in the clouds. But notice, every eye will see him when he returns. When he came the first time, no one even really noticed that he came. A few shepherds. A few wise men showed up. But most people didn't know that God himself came and took on flesh as a baby and was born in Bethlehem. Very humble, very quiet, no one really knew. Not even the religious followers who knew the Old Testament that was going to happen. When the rapture happens, no one is even going to know until after it happens. Twinkle of an eye, faster than you can even blink. We're out of here. There'll be tremendous chaos in this world. Imagine the pilot. Imagine the person driving a car next to you. And you're a non-believer. Where would your squirrely mind go? Aliens? That's what they're trying to pump into our brains now in this world. There's aliens. And that's how all of those, those people are gone. That's you. That's how they speak to you. Us, those. Aliens got them. Isn't that the greatest thing that ever happened? That's what they'll say. Why? Because we see in the scripture, all non-believers will be deceived in their minds to believe whatever Satan going to plant and you're like that's ridiculous pastor there's no way ha you don't know the power of satan do you and what the scripture says you could be deceived you think you're thinking rightly but you're actually deceived however that plays out we just know that the rapture the twinkle and i were gone but here in the scripture when we come back with him every eye will see him coming back why is that important as a believer? Why is that important? Because there's a lot of false teaching and a lot of cults out there that tell you, oh, if you go into the inner rooms, I, Jesus is, is, is there. Oh, really? So Jesus has come back in, in, in some upper room, in some corporate office, some, some, somewhere in some remote area. Is that what you're telling me? Yes. Well, then that's a false teaching because the Bible tells me everyone will see him returning. Everyone. All eyes. 
So you get these cults out there always telling you these, these little things. Oh, we have a special uh, revelation. We have a revelation here and a revelation there. We've seen him here. We have a secret coming here and a secret coming in there. And it's just for us. And it's our little cult and our little, our little place and our little church kind of thing. Uh, you have to come to us to be able to have that. That is all ploys of the enemy to de deceive you. Because you know the scripture now. When he does come back. As we get there, we're coming back with them. So this is not talking about us. I'm talking about during the period of seven-year seven tribulation, right? Those who get saved while we're going through the tribulation, this scripture is for them. Every eye will see Jesus return. Don't be deceived by those. Even they who pierced him. Those, the Jews, is referring to the Jews who pierced him. It wasn't just the Jews. It was all of us who pierced our Savior because of our sin. All of the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Why? Because they are going to see the results of their Savior in that form of the, hand, the, uh, the holes in their hands and the feet and the scars and the, the hole in the side of, the, of, the, of, the, of, the, of his side, the hole from the spear. All of that will be seen. It will remind us of our sin is what put him on that cross. And we see the Jews, because remember during the seven year period of tribulation when we talk about this, God's going to reveal himself tremendously to the Jewish people and they're going to be, eyes will be revealed. The, the scales of the eyes will come off. They'll see that Jesus is the Messiah and they will all come to believe Jesus as the Lord and Savior. Amazing, isn't it? So John is saying, John didn't need a special vision for this either. To know that he's coming back, coming with the clouds. He knew that from the Old Testament. Why? Because the Old Testament spoke of this in Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. And from Jesus' own words, I say to you, there, herefore, hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting in the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. We see that in Matthew 26, 64. So as I bring these, these key things, there's an Old Testament and even Jesus' teaching about these things as we go through the book of Revelation. You just have to make these ties. That's why it's important you study the whole counsel of God. Because every eye will see him when he returns. There won't be a person who will not know. I mean, when Jesus was here on his earthly ministry, he never made the front page of the Roman times. It wasn't Twittered all out. Instagram, oh, got a sighting and picture of him. But when he comes back, every eye will see him. And everyone will see his pierceness. <laughs> Don't want to be off color here, but so many people like piercings, but when you see his piercings, it will bring mourning to you. It'll bring mourning what he was willing to do for me to die for this wicked man so that I could have eternal life is amazing to me amazing grace how sweet the sound all the tribes of the earth yes every tribe even that remote tribe on the island in the top of the hill that no one's ever met and seen it's just five ten people every eye every tribe see him return that's amazing 
Verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end, says the Lord. See, in your Bible, it's probably red letters in your Bible. If you have a red letter Bible. Anytime where Jesus is actually speaking and his exact words from him is in red letters. This verse is that one little Jesus stepping in and and saying the words. And so that's why you'll find it's in red letters. Says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, why is this important? Why we believe it's the Lord's actually saying these words and unduplicating what was said in the beginning about the Father? Are you with me here? John references the same description and title to the Father. He now applies to him, what? Himself, which then brings the logical conclusion to what? They're one and the same. The Father and I are what? One. Are you with me? So when someone says Jesus is not the Father, he's not God, take him to these verses. Read these verses to that person who says Jesus is not God in the flesh. Take him to these scriptures. Because that's exactly what's happening. John here finishes his introduction by introducing, or now Jesus introduces himself to be Jehovah. He's Jehovah, just like the Father and the Holy Spirit. He's Jehovah. He's one God, the triune God. And after all, it is his revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's verse 1 of chapter 1. And so it isn't strange that he introduces this truth himself personally to you and me, to the churches. In the original language, it, it just usually says, right, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end is not part of the original some manuscripts. It's it, the beginning and end describes the Alpha and the Omega. It, it just, it, it's part of that. So just read it. The main point here is the Alpha and the Omega. The idea is behind this title for Jesus is he is before all things and will remain beyond all things. He always has existed. He always will exist, be existed. If you, read, if you know the Greek, right? The ancient Greek lettering. You know Alpha is the first letter of the ancient Greek alphabet. Omega is the very last uh, 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 letter of the Greek alphabet. And that is A to Z. I am the A to Z. That's what he said. I am the A to Z. And everything in between. I am the beginning and the end. And everything in between. Always have, always will be. I know everything. I see everything. I'm all powerful. I, I know everything. You must have that settled because that's the one you worship. So when you have a cry of a need, you're going to the one who's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end who knows all things, everything in between. He's not going to be shocked by anything you say. He already knows what you're thinking before you think it. I know it's hard to get your head around that. It scares some of you. But for some, most of us, it brings us such peace and joy because I know he already has a plan. Do, do, you, do, you, do you have that same set of mind? 
that when you're having challenges and situations and things are falling apart in your life, physically, mentally, spiritually, everything's falling apart, do you know the one you're crying out to already has a plan to help you? Already knows all the details? All you have to do is listen and oh, what? Obey. Just follow his lead. I don't know about you. That brings great comfort to me. If Jesus both the beginning and the end, then he is also the authority over everything in between. Ah, my brothers and sisters. That's our challenge. Giving him authority over your life. A surrendered life. Let him be in control. He will always get it right. You will not. See, Jesus Christ is who is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. He directs all human history, even our individual lives, he is in control of. As we see in verse 4, the phrase there that communicates who is and who was and who is to come. It's the idea, again, from the very beginning, the great Old Testament. That great Old Testament name for the triune God, Yahweh, it reflects his eternal nature and his unchanging presence. God is not changing. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. That is who you're putting your trust in. Jesus has the eternal nature just as God the Father and God the Holy Spirit does. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And then I'll end here. We'll go right into communion. The word the Almighty. Don't miss this word. The key name. The Almighty. It literally means the one who has his hand on everything. He speaks of the great sovereign control of Jesus over everything. Past, present, and future. It's the greatest word in this book, in the book of Revelation. This word is only seen in the entire Bible, how many times? Ten. And nine of them are in this book. It's the key name of for God in Revel the book of Revelation. This book will show us God's sovereignty over this world. And over each and every person's life. And we must understand that he also has, the Almighty is able to do anything. And so my prayer for you, for all of us, is that may our hearts be occupied with Jesus. I hope someone asks you, Why, where are you? You're like you're out in left field somewhere. Where's your, where's your mind? Pondering on Jesus. What are you doing? You're just sitting there? Just, it seems to be quiet, like you're, like you're not doing anything. Oh no, I'm talking to Jesus. I'm pondering on the word of, of what the Lord has shown me. I'm, I'm sitting here pondering. I, I'm thinking, Jesus, are you coming back for me today? Because today would be a perfect day. Is that, would that be you if I ever caught you just kind of daydreaming? Or in a daze? 
I hope it's because you're pondering and Jesus is filling your mind. And may his return always be for us. Titus 2.13. Love this verse. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray and go into communion. Father, we thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. And as we come to the communion table, and we'll be taking the elements, as we ponder on our hearts, Lord, we, may we, in our quiet time, as we're pondering, may we be confessing anything in our lives that is not pleasing to you. May we confess it. May we just cry out to you on that. Lay it at your feet, knowing that you loved us. You paid for all of it on the cross. I don't have to live like that anymore. I don't have to think like that anymore. I don't need to be pondering in the cares of this world anymore. I don't have to live and filled with worry and anxiety and, and just feeling unloved. All of this, Lord, just let me just trust what your word has for me this day and just lay it at your feet knowing that these symbols this cracker this juice reminds me that you loved me because you went to the cross for me you died for me so that your blood would pour over me and wash me clean and this is just a reminder of that grace and that love that you have for each of us. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that does not know you, has not surrendered their life to you, they've just been living really cardinal lives, or they're not saved at all, I pray today, as we're handing out these, that they will confess and surrender all and ask for forgiveness and to just allow you to wash over them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.